0: Harlan Burke is a numismatist. That means he's an expert in currency, in his case, ancient coins.
1: I bought a pair of silver medallions that were given out May 11th, 330 A.D. at the confirmation of the city of Constantinople by Constantine the Great. And they were given to some important people who were maybe in his box when they opened up the city so very very important things
0: Harlan has 3 children Aaron the oldest specializes in antiquities
2: we have uh, an Athenian belcrodor which is basically a ceramic vase that's downstairs, um, dated to 450 B.C. And on one side has, um, since it was used to mix wine and water, um, it actually has a diagnostic scene on the obverse, which Dionysus is the god of wine. So it makes sense. There were some attributes of the vase that were easy to pick out, and so I was able to identify it to the exact painter.
0: Shanna, the middle child, loves ancient coins like her father. Finding a coin of Cleopatra is not that hard. Finding a nice coin of Cleopatra is very difficult. And Sammy, the youngest, is into maps. It's
3: called the Noli Map of Rome, and it's from the uh, earlier 1700s. It's about, I believe I want to say it's 12 individual sheets that have been joined to form this map. Maybe 16. It goes down to just little farms with family names on the outskirts of Rome. And that's, that's how detailed, every alleyway to every family farm within and surrounding the city of Rome from the early 1700s.
0: It sounds like the beginning of a parable, the ancient coin collector and his three children. But this is a real-life story about a family that's built a business around tangible pieces of world history. Harlan Burke and his children have tracked down obscure finds and even helped the FBI recover long-lost valuables. And they're figuring out how to navigate an ongoing debate over cultural heritage, a debate that has put dealers on the defensive about the future of their business. This is all coming up on The Distance, a podcast about longevity and business. I'm Waylon Wong. We are a production of Basecamp, the leading project management app for keeping everyone on the same page. Last week, another 6,013 companies signed up to run their projects with Basecamp. And you can try it free for 60 days at Basecamp.com The Distance.
1: Well, I started collecting when I was seven.
0: Harlan's grandmother gave him some Indian head cents and a Swedish medal from 1818. He also stumbled on his first major find.
1: My father gave me my 35 cent a week allowance. And in there, I found a 1916 D dime, of which they only made 264000 At the time, it was worth 12 dollars 5 and that was a year's worth of allowance. So throughout my life, I was a coin collector. And then after college, I started the coin business and also worked in my father's uh, small jewelry store. At one point, my father said we had to sell the coins to pay the monthly bills. So I called my grandmother and I asked her for $6,000 to cover the amount of the coins. And she gave me that. And whatever we have or don't have came from that $6,000.
0: Harlan Burke's company, founded in 1964, is called Harlan J. Burke Limited. When he started his business in the pre-internet years, he found customers by advertising in specialty magazines, sending out catalogs, and going to trade shows. Sometimes the kids tagged along to shows, but they weren't into coins like their father. Aaron played sports, Shanna studied classical piano and later worked in advertising, and Sammy majored in environmental science with a minor in geography.
1: My father was in the jewelry business and it was never very successful. He had to borrow money from his mother-in-law, which didn't please him to pay the bills. And he kept on saying, Harlan, you've got to go into the jewelry business. And every time he said that, I took a step back. So I never told any of my children to go into the business because I knew what the effect was on me.
0: All of his children eventually joined the family business, gaining a love for ancient history along the way. But they're dealers, not collectors. And that's a guiding principle of the business.
3: One thing that my dad has always said is that you shouldn't collect what you are also selling because then you become competition for your
1: customers. And now collecting for me is owning it in inventory, publishing it in a catalog. And that, to me, is the same as having it forever. I mean, I
3: almost see the maps that I sell as my personal collection. When I buy an auction, even though I know I'm not going to keep it, I get excited to bring it back to my office, put it on my desk, study it, research it, do a write-up, send it through a roll-through scanner I have to get a good image of it, do Photoshop work on it, put it in our inventory, and launch it to our website. And then I go to shows and I talk to people about it. So... (laughs) I get to do a lot with the maps before I sell them.
2: Also, when you have been in the business long enough and you have built a collection, those coins, antiquities, maps, they come back to you. And so it's kind of like seeing old friends. I bought maybe three weeks ago some antiquities that I had sold in the mid-90s. And you remember them as soon as you see them.
0: It's like that old cliche, if you love something, let it go. If H.J.B. Limited kept the best stuff for themselves, they'd go out of business. So everything is made available to customers, whether it's acquired at an estate sale, or bought from a walk-in customer who turns up with a dusty box from their attic. Sometimes surprising things come through the door. Four years ago, Harlan was just getting home on a Friday when he got a call from one of his employees.
1: I was told... We just bought an autograph by Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln. I said, and what was the Jefferson thing? He said, well, it's an eight-page letter about how to finance the United States. I said, what'd you pay? He said, $3,000. I said, that's way too little. Monday, let's do some research.
0: The sellers said they had found the documents in the basement of a house they were renting. After digging around, Harlan and his staff suspected that the materials belonged to the Polish Museum of America in Chicago. The museum looked into it and confirmed that the artifacts, some of which dated back to 1646, came from a collection that had been lost decades earlier.
1: We made a deal with the Polish Museum that whenever the objects came in, we would record them and they would pay us what we paid and we would give the objects back to them.
2: The intention was always to get all the material back and it was just a ploy to buy the material so that we could get to bigger parts of the collection and eventually get it all back. Our father said to them, let us just keep buying it as cheap as possible so we don't draw any attention to them. And then when it got to a certain point, they decided when they came in one of the last times to sell, they said they were going to consign to one of the auction houses.
0: That's when Harlan advised the museum officials to call the FBI. Authorities recovered 120 artifacts at an estimated value of $5 million. That was a pretty big moment for HJB Limited. But it's not often that one-of-a-kind artifacts show up at the shop. It's much more common for the business to acquire inventory from other dealers and collectors. Shanna also travels to Europe several times a year for coin auctions. At the last one she attended, she was bidding on behalf of 16 different clients.
4: Some of my clients, they're spending, you know, six figures on coins. They want to be in the room with me, so they're online. I'll have them on chat. And when I'm maybe five lots before their big lot comes up, they'll say to me, oh, okay, well, you can go to, you know, half a million. So some of the coins that I'm bidding on can be quite, quite expensive. I tend to get very tired because, you know, you're sitting there all day and um, every once in a while you're like, okay, I have a lot coming up. And, you you know, you're holding up your paddle. Most of it is, is rather, you know, boring, but... Then sometimes you get to one of the coins, like, I bid on a coin for a customer that hammered for 650,000 Swiss francs. That was a big deal. There were two coins that hammered for 650,000, the most expensive coins in the auction, and one of them was that. And that elicited some clapping.
0: 650,000 Swiss francs is about 670,000 U.S. dollars. In this business, sometimes old stuff is really valuable, and other times, it's just old stuff.
2: It's really supply and demand. I mean, if you want to just talk about simple economics, that's what it is. You know, you can have an area of coinage that may be unusual or hard to get, but nobody's collecting it, or one person's collecting it, then there's no market.
0: The value of maps can also vary widely. Sammy has a map showing New York from the 1730s priced at $5,750. But he sold maps of Great Britain from the same time period for just $350 because Europeans already knew so much about the geography of Great Britain by then. Sammy sees a big part of his job as getting the word out that you can buy old maps for the price of a nice art print or poster.
3: A lot of collectors say they used to always get free maps from the gas station when they'd go on a road trip with their parents and their parents would say, we're going to this town, we're here now. You tell us how to get there. So there's a lot of people that have some sort of memory with maps that they enjoy, yet they have absolutely no idea that this stuff exists. I've sold maps for as little as $25 a piece. I got a whole book full of them, and they're, most of them are all from the 1800s. You can buy maps from the 1700s for a couple hundred dollars. Even the 1600s, you can easily be spending under a grand couple hundred dollars for some of this stuff.
0: The Burks also say that most outsiders are surprised to learn how many ancient coins and antiquities are in circulation, enough for both museums and private collectors to enjoy.
1: I was working as a volunteer for one of the major museums, and in one of their cabinets I found some Etruscan scarabs, and I showed them to them. I said, oh, we didn't know we had those. And when they did an exhibition of coins and jewelry and Stones, I noticed that those Etruscan scarabs, which were magnificent, were not in the exhibit. So they're probably still lost in the museum. Most items
2: that we sell, they're not national treasures, and they're not things that are even museums would want to put out because they have plenty. So these are items that collectors can get excited about, and when an exhibit comes to the Art Institute or to the field, they're excited about going spending money and actually help funding the museum.
0: The role of the collector is an especially touchy one at the moment because of an ongoing debate over cultural patrimony that involves dealers, museums, archaeologists, and governments.
4: A lot of people just aren't aware of it. Unfortunately, it's kind of killing our business here in the United States, the ancients' business. It's really changing things a lot because there's a lot of restrictions on ancient coins coming into the U.S. that other countries don't have happening to them. We've created these these kind of agreements with other countries that we won't allow them in the United States because that's going to help curb looting. Now it's become more about stopping ISIS, but it was always yeah. about curbing looting so that you can preserve the cultural heritage of other countries.
0: These bilateral agreements between the U.S. and countries like Italy and Cyprus restrict imports to the U.S. of archaeological material, including sculptures, weapons, and since the early 2000s, ancient coins. The current cultural property debate is fraught because countries like Iraq and Syria have seen cultural sites devastated by violent conflict and because ISIS is both destroying antiquities and selling what it doesn't destroy on the black market.
4: I don't doubt that some antiquities are being sold to help fund ISIS. There's no doubt in my mind. But it's not that black and white there's definitely more to it.
0: Shanna and others in the coin collecting community are unhappy with the restriction on coins, which have been difficult on the business. It's harder to acquire coins for American clients, and the legal import of coins now involves dealing with customs brokers and other kinds of bureaucracy. And while there are a lot of ancient coins currently in circulation in the U.S., the ones that leave the country are unlikely to come back. HJB Limited's adaptation strategy has been to diversify into other areas, like antiquities and maps, the specialties that Aaron and Sammy oversee. Next month, Sammy is hosting the Chicago International Map Fair, an annual show he started that brings in dealers from around the US and Europe. Aaron handles new digital initiatives, like launching a mobile app for auctions. A lot has changed since he put together catalogs the old-fashioned way, cutting out hundreds of pictures of coins and hoping he wouldn't sneeze before he glued them down.
2: What our father has given us is the opportunity to be entrepreneurs, which is fantastic. You know, I can come to work every day and think of new ideas and how to better our company. And not many people can do that. You know, I started working here at 23 or 24. And so now I'm going to be 46. And I feel like I have a world of knowledge because of all the catalogs I've written. Even though the antiquities is a very small part of our business, probably less than 5% of our business, but we enjoy it, it's fun.
0: Harlan and his children take a long-term view of the business, perhaps because they spend every day handling artifacts that remind them of how much history has come before them.
1: You're only a temporary owner of these items. You're supposed to keep them in good condition because even if your family keeps it for 200 years, eventually it's gonna go to someone else. So you're never going to be the forever holder. You're not going to be buried with it. So we're temporary owners of all of these objects. And so that's why we have to keep them good and know that they will go on to future humanity.
0: The Distance is produced by Sean Hildner and me, Waylon Wong. If you're interested in checking out the Chicago International Map Fair, that's going to be in Chicago from October 23rd through the 25th. There are more details at ChicagoMapFair.com. You can stay in touch with us via Twitter at DistanceMag. That's at Distance M A G, or by signing up for our newsletter at thedistance.com. The Distance is a production of Basecamp, the project management app for keeping everyone on the same page. Give Basecamp a try for your own projects basecamp.com slash the distance.